This morning, as we open God's Word, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you would, I'd invite you uh, to turn with me there to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, uh, actually uh, the very beginning of verse 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Amen. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. I meant to pray before I read the passage. Let's ask God's blessing. Father, we delight in Your Word. It's why we are even here this morning, because You have caused us to be born again by this Word. Would You continue Your work in us, Lord? God, recreating us after the image of Christ. Lord, we look forward to the day when we will be made entirely free of sin, of all the things that beset us, of all the things that keep us from You and from one another. But Lord, until that day, use this Word morning after morning and this morning, God, to renew us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Love. Love is pretty obviously the central concern of God's Word to us this morning. And as I was preparing this sermon, I had originally planned to preach on the entirety of the seven and a half verses that we just read. And long story short, uh, it's really verse seven that I couldn't get off my mind. Uh, Because as I was thinking about this passage and about preaching this morning, I couldn't help but recall to mind a sermon that I had heard uh, about over 12 years ago now, sometime back in high school. And in that sermon, I remember the pastor speaking about verse 7 and saying about love, that love believing all things means that love is eager to believe the best about other people. Love doesn't assume the worst, but it's eager to believe the best And I couldn't stop thinking, you know, if that's true, then that's extremely relevant for us this morning. As we come back together, uh, increasingly so, and as we see each other more and more, with everything that's divided us and made us suspicious of one another and made us doubt one another over these past 15 or 16 months, if it's true that love seeks to see others in the very best light, then perhaps that's something we need to ponder. COVID, 
the 2020 elections, with the various uh, racial injustices that exist in our country this past year, these issues, I think, have given us ample opportunity to think less about one another, to look down on one another, and especially those uh, with whom we disagree. And I think a dose of believing the best about one another, uh, that could be a really good thing for us. And not because we haven't already been considering love and unity. Nate has been preaching on these things at various intervals. And not because we seem to be struggling with this any more than any other body of believers. Uh, And actually, I've been rather encouraged uh, by many of the things that I've seen and heard in this body. Uh, But because in a world full of suspicion and cynicism, in a world that's so ready to assume the worst about others on the other side of the aisle, what opportunity we have as the church to shine forth in love. A love in which we hold one another in the highest esteem possible, even in the face of our ongoing disagreements. How wonderful would that be? A city set on a hill and shining brightly with the love of Christ. That's worth our pursuing. So let's consider what God has to say about love. And I tried to set you up uh, for this just a minute ago, but this morning we're going to be camping out in that one verse, verse 7. And actually we're going to be camping out in the middle part of the verse. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. That's the big idea and the one truth that I want us to consider this morning. Love believes all things and love hopes all things. I know it's not too creative, but there it is. Uh, Now, of course, the question before us is, what does Paul mean when he says that love believes all things and hopes all things? Some translations have uh, love is always trusting or always believing. Love is always hoping. Uh, But this is the most literal one. Uh, Love believes all things and hopes all things. What does that mean? Because love is patient and kind, the meaning of that is a bit more obvious. But here in the middle of verse 7, things aren't as clear. There's two main views. One is more vertical and the other is more horizontal. On the vertical view, the trust and hope are directed toward God. Hope in Scripture and faith in Scripture are directed in Scripture uh, toward God. And hope has a special reference to the future, to the completion of our salvation, to the promises, again, of God. There's a verticalness to this view. And a few verses later, in verse 13, Paul says, So now, faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And so maybe here in verse 7, Paul is saying that for the Christian, these three things are inseparable. Where there's love, there's faith, and hope in God. Now, of course, the difficulty with this view, with the vertical view, is that Paul is addressing a horizontal problem. And in a word, he's addressing uh, the problem of spiritual pride and divisiveness in the church. Uh, 
Right? There's been none of, none of that over this past year, so we can just forget about uh, what he has to say to us here. Uh, no, we all have this problem, and <clears throat> the course correction offered here in chapter 13 is for us to pursue love. And love acts a certain way towards others. It's a believer-believer relationship that Paul is concerned about. So Charles Hodge, commenting on love hoping all things, he writes, love hopes for the best with regard to everyone. It would be contrary to the context to understand the faith and hope spoken of here as referring to the truths and promises of the gospel. And to bolster this view just a bit more, uh, the New Testament scholar D.A. Carson, uh, this is how he summarizes these, these two clauses. Love always trusts, which does not mean it is gullible, but that it prefers to be generous in its openness and acceptance rather than suspicious or cynical. That's the believing part of love. It prefers to be generous in its openness and acceptance rather than suspicious or cynical. And then the second part, love uh, hopes for the best, he continues. This is still him even when disappointed by repeated personal hurts, hoping against hope and always ready to give an offender a second chance and to forgive him 70 times seven. And part of that, he's quoting the very very well-respected scholar F.F. Bruce. And of course, Jesus' words in Matthew 18. Now, what are we to make of these two views? How do we decide between them? Because on the one hand, faith and hope in the New Testament are almost always directed toward God, especially faith. The Greek word here is pistuo, and almost everywhere this verb is used, almost everywhere, it's about faith in God, in Jesus, or in the Word of God. But still, many commentators, not all, but many seem to think here that interpersonal relationships are in view. And the main reason for that is the context. It would be odd for Paul to name 12 aspects of love, starting in verse 4, to name 12 aspects of love directed toward our fellow man, and then state here in the middle of verse 7 two aspects which are then related to God, and then round it all off with one or two more aspects that are again directed toward our fellow man. This would be uh, an unexplained oddity, to say the least. Now, in the end, I'm not convinced that these two views are entirely at odds. And a couple of commentators uh, point to a third option. Uh, Gordon Fee is one of them, and he writes that love trusts God in behalf of the one loved and hopes to the end that God will show mercy in that person's behalf. So trust and hope are directed toward God, yet they have reference to the people that we love. Another way of saying this is that the grounds for believing and hoping all things is God and His grace and His promises. Yet that belief and hope then reach into and affect how we view and treat our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Do we believe and trust God on their behalf and believe that his 
promises apply not only to us, but to them as well? Do we trust that they too have the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is working in them as well? These are the questions I think that this verse puts to us. We have to ask ourselves, what is my starting point? Is it one of doubt and cynicism and expecting and looking for the worst? Or is it one of charity and confidence toward my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I willing to assume the best about that person, even in the face of our ongoing disagreements, sometimes disagreements which run deep? Richard Pratt on believing all things, he says, love gives the benefit of the doubt. And so as I said at the beginning, I think this verse is extremely relevant to us at this present moment. Because again, how often with all that's happened over this past year have we been tempted to think and to speak poorly about others, to look down our noses at one another. I'm guessing we're all guilty of this to one degree or another. I can say that I am guilty of this. A true Christian, we've probably heard it all said, and I'm I'm sure we have, a true Christian could never vote for the Democratic ticket for Joe Biden. Or a true Christian could never vote for Donald Trump. Right? Look at the guy. Both of these things have been said. And I don't know if any of us have said these things. I'm not coming after anyone. I'm not on social media. But these statements take things too far. They simplify very complex moral equations. One of my close friends is a Christian business owner, an incredible man who loves the Lord. And uh, he's a man who, uh, his, with his mom, when he was in the womb, his mom was near uh, to deciding on getting him aborted. His mom almost had an abortion. And so he voted for Donald Trump. And this issue was a huge issue for him. Now, another one of my close friends voted for Biden. And he's a black man. He's a Christian brother. And he loves the unborn as well. He hates abortion as well. And he is a man of God who loves to make Christ known. In fact, he's a software engineer at a tech company in Seattle called Slalom. And uh, he got to be part of this incredible Juneteenth celebration that his company had with Amazon. Uh, Over a 1,000 employees were tuning into this thing. And he got to lead a team of of four Christian artists. He pulled together this, this team of artists. And they got to present spoken word at this event, poetry at this event. And they're for all of them, this, the, the hope, the idea was to plant gospel seeds. How could they do that in this setting? An incredible man who loves the Lord. My point is, faithful believers can think differently about issues that matter a lot. Faithful believers can but fall on both sides of the aisle. And this pattern holds true on so many of the issues that have confronted our nation and our world over this past year. And rather than letting these things divide us, God's Word calls us to extend grace and charity to one another. 
as we have faith and hope that God is at work in us to make us more and more like his son. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Uh, Now, I want to add a caveat. I'm not saying that the issues themselves are unimportant or that we shouldn't talk about them, that we need to pretend that our differences aren't there or that they don't matter. I'm not trying to say that at all. It's okay for us to talk about COVID, about race, about science, about politics. These aren't things we need to avoid, and conversation may in fact be very healthy for us. Not social media conversations, I'm talking about face-to-face conversations. So please don't hear me saying that we shouldn't continue to work through these things together, that um, I think we should and can, and especially uh, if we're willing to ask for God's wisdom and grace, we can work through these things. Having said that, I think the most important issue, more important than the how we work through this all, is what's in our hearts. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is this, do I have the heart of Christ toward my brothers and sisters? Do I have the heart of Christ toward my brothers and sisters? What does he feel about them? How does he see them? And actually, as we think about this verse, verse 7, and how it relates to the love of Christ, uh, the parallel isn't actually uh, as perfect as the rest of chapter 13. The love spoken of in chapter 13 is nothing less than the love which shines brightest in Christ. Love is seen preeminently in Christ. Yet in verse 7, there's almost a glitch. The parallel is, is asymmetrical. And that's because for us, faith and hope are about trusting that God is at work in another person, even when we can't see it. We hope for the best. The thing about Christ's love is that he loves us knowing in advance all the ways in which we're not going to be faithful. And he still loves us. Christ isn't just seeking our good, but he knows the bad even before, he, even before we commit it, and he continues seeking our good. Listen to this portion from Luke's Gospel. This is shortly before Christ's crucifixion. And here Jesus is talking to the Apostle Peter. This is Luke 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Christ knew in advance that his disciple Peter was going to deny him. And in advance, what does he do? He prays for him. He prays that his faith would not utterly fail him. He prays for his well-being, and he prays that he would ultimately prevail. He tells him that after stumbling, Peter is to rise up and serve him again. Christ commits his church to this man, to Peter, knowing 
(laughs) that Peter is yet to deny him three times. So Christ can't believe the best about Peter because he knows what's coming, and yet he loves him anyways. And he doesn't just forgive him, but he entrusts his church to him. That's the depth of Christ's love for all of us. Christ loved us long before we were ever lovely. Listen to what Paul says in Romans. This is from chapter 5. He writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Brothers and sisters, we are recipients of a love that we do not deserve. God loved us and Christ came for us despite our ugliness, despite our sin and our shame. Do we realize how wonderful this is? It's not our beauty and moral worthiness that causes God to love us, but it's God's love that makes us beautiful. It's his love that renews us day by day. And Christ loves each and every one of us. He is the good shepherd. And listen to what he says in John 10. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's the promise I'm referring to. That's why love can believe all things and hope all things with respect to our brothers and sisters. It's because Christ is the good shepherd who leads his sheep. Those people in this body whom we may be struggling to love, Christ loves those people. And he's working in those people. And he invites us to love them in the same way. Love believes all things, and love hopes all things. Now, I want to say a few words about what this does and doesn't mean. Firstly, this doesn't mean that if you love someone, then love believes all things, so you have to believe whatever they tell you. Again, love believes in God and his promises as they bear fruit in the lives of those who trust in him. And so, These words also don't mean that if you love someone, then you have to pretend like their faults aren't there. God's not telling us to turn a blind eye to the sins of others. In fact, Scripture calls us in gentleness and kindness to confront one another when sin is present. We're supposed to call each other back to holiness. So listen to what one 19th century commentator says on love believing all things. He writes, Love takes the best and kindest views of all men and all circumstances as long as it is possible to do so. The point is we may see some of the ugly realities in one another's lives, but even so, we're called to believe that God is still present and working. And so as one commentator put it, we ought to try and give a favorable interpretation of everything. So this isn't about ignoring sin and not addressing it, but it is about not fixating on our minor faults and on the unclear things, on the very gray issues. And it's about viewing one another with as much charity and hope as possible. 
I think one of the applications of this verse is that we ought to try and show each other as much understanding as is humanly possible. Especially with the issues of our day, because we simply don't know with all the different ingredients that have gone into the differing convictions we all have, the human heart is is so layered and complex, and our experiences are all so different, we don't know one another's stories unless we talk about it. And so this is why it's good for us to talk. We can be so quick to judge one another and assume the worst when we don't even know the first part of why someone else stands where they stand of why they're making the choice they're making. Speaking of another friend of mine, he's a pilot with Delta. I met him years ago when I was at Moody. We randomly ran into each other, and we've stayed in touch ever since. And he speaks pretty strongly against getting the vaccine for himself. That's his conviction. And it might be easy for us to make certain assumptions about him, to dismiss him or discredit him because of his position, But then, if you got to know him, you'd discover, right or wrong about the vaccine, that he's a very intelligent man and that he really cares about his neighbor. In fact, the same day that him and I, uh, we got to meet up not too long ago, and the same day that we got together and I first heard his his spiel on the vaccine, uh, he had just shown up and he had taken an Uber drive over and he came in the front door elated because he just spent... Uh, I think basically the entirety of the drive sharing about Jesus with this driver. His name was Kevin, this Vietnamese man, this first-generation man, uh, who knew next to nothing about Jesus. And so Andrew just got to talk to him about Jesus. And you can tell this man was excited and, and wanting to learn more. And so Andrew gave him his own personal Bible. And we prayed for uh, Kevin. If you think about it, pray for, for Kevin. Our, our positions on a particular issue. It's okay for us to disagree with one another, but let's not then rush to character judgments and to assume that we know the whole story. There's always more to the picture. For all of us this past year, there's much more than we know about one another. And for myself, uh, I can say that when I've taken the time to hear others articulate their reasons for their particular course of action, I've discovered that it made more sense than I had previously thought. It helped me be understanding. There's more to the story that others know, and so we need to give one another the benefit of the doubt and to view one another in the best light possible. Love believes all things, and love hopes all things. And ultimately, even as we'll continue to disagree, because we will, these these things aren't just going to go away, there's a unity that we can take hold of in Christ, because Christ and his love are the deeper realities that still unite us. About two weeks ago, uh, for my summer internship, a black pastor named Lonnie Arnold, he spoke to us interns about gospel, race, and culture. And he spoke of the different jerseys we wear. One person is wearing the Stars and Stripes jersey. There's no calling into question the greatness of this nation. And if you do, then you and I are on separate teams. Another person is wearing the Black Lives Matter jersey. 
And if you question the movement, then you're questioning the value of black lives. And so you and I are on separate teams. Now, the thing is, those aren't fair conclusions. And Lonnie wasn't trying to endorse any political position or movement. His point was to say, as Christians, that in order for us to talk to one another in love and charity, we need to take off those jerseys we wear and only be wearing the Jesus jersey, which is underneath those other jerseys. Whatever allegiances are, to, are leading to division of the church, if there's any jersey covering the Jesus jersey, it needs to come off. And when it does, then we can realize the deeper reality that unites us, which is Christ. And as we end here, I want to read from Ephesians 4. Uh, and if memory serves me, I think Nate maybe preached on this passage last summer, but uh, I, I just want to read this text for us to let God's Word speak to us. Ephesians 4, and this is starting in verse 1. Paul writes, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and uh, in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. What, what a truth to marvel at. God our Father, over all, through all, and even in all. So is there one God and Father of us all? And is Christ dwelling in each of us by His Spirit? Then let us seek to love one another. Let us seek to have the heart of Christ toward one another. Let us believe the best about each other and hope the best about each other. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we call on You, asking, Lord, that You would let the truths of Your Word sink deeply into our hearts this morning. God, and that as we consider our stumblings, our imperfections, our failure to love one another over this past year, God, would, would You assure us that in Christ there is grace and mercy for us. So Lord, don't let us wallow in guilt and shame, but let us confess our wrongdoing to hope that You will continue Your work in us, to hope that You will change our hearts in the ways that we so need. Lord, only You know those ways. And we ask together that Lord Jesus, by Your Spirit, God, You would renew us again, that You would purify us, that You would sanctify us, make us more and more like Yourself. God, we thank You and we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.